where should I come dressed casually like Joe Panza, who's not here today, by the way, uh, just in a, you know, a, a shirt, you know, not even tucked in, but that's fine, Joe, or should I come like, uh, like Pastor Eric, who wears at least a shirt and tie, most times, or should I be like Garland, and wear a suit and tie, and so my wife, wise as she is, she said, just come comfortable. Come as you are, and whatever makes you feel comfortable. So, I'm not really comfortable in a suit and tie because it's hot up here. <laughs> but uh, most of you look very comfortable. You know, there's a verse in uh, the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Does anybody have that memorized? I'll give you the context. Samuel the prophet came to Jesse looking for the next king of Israel. And some wise words were given in the Old Testament, 1 yeah. Samuel 16, verse 7. God, what was it? God does not look at outward appearances. But God looks at the heart. So God told the prophet, don't look at the, the, the tall, dark, and handsome fellow and assume he's the one. Uh, look at his heart. And uh, so that's the bottom line. You all come, uh, you come, some of you come casually to church, and some of you come all dressed up proper. It doesn't matter to the Lord, right? He just is glad, he's just glad you're here in church wanting to worship Him and learn from Him. So, that's kind of my attitude. I, I was uh, born and raised in a small town uh, down in Britt, Iowa. Do we have anybody here that's ever been to Britt, Iowa? Anybody? Besides, well, my wife, of course, has been there. But I mean, Britt, Iowa is known as the National Hobo now, you all know what a hobo is? It's not a tramp and it's not a bum. A hobo travels around and he'll work for food and, and he'll... Uh, in my hometown, Britt, Iowa, is the national hobo town where every year in August they have a convention and all the hobos come and they elect a king and a queen of the hobos and they have mulligan stew free for everybody that comes. It's a town of uh, 5,000 burst to about 20,000 people wow. come. There's a parade and all the hobos come and they all have talents and, and the people get to vote, a king and a queen. When I was a boy, the king was uh, 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 Scoop Shovel Scotty. He always had a Scoop Shovel in his hand that was, and he had lost one ear in the fight. But that was uh, Scoop Shovel Scotty. And Boxcar Betty was the queen during those years when I was just a boy. It doesn't sound too, too exciting to most of you. I can see you're not impressed. Uh, but anyway, I was born and raised in Brit, grew up in the Evangelical Free Church. That's all I've ever known. And at the age of 16, I came to the conviction that I was a sinner in need of the Savior. And uh, I'll never forget, it was a Friday night at the, at the end of a week of special meetings. I walked forward and received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. And I felt then God's calling me into some type of full-time ministry because I, I admired the pastor. I wanted to be like the pastor. I wanted to someday be a pastor. And the Lord led me after four years in the Navy. Any, any servicemen here today? Raise your hand if you're proud to be a military person. Raise your hand. Yeah. All right. Four years in the Navy, that's the canoe club that I called it. I was discipled through the uh, Minister of the Navigators during those four years. 
and the Navy, and then I went to college down in uh, St. Paul at Northwestern Bible College, received our, my uh, bachelor's degree and met my dear wife. We graduated the Sunday afternoon and were married the following evening on campus in the chapel, 35 years ago. And then I went to seminary in, uh, in Chicago area, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and received mm -hmm. my master's degree. Went to our first church in Storm Lake, Iowa, where we served for 14 years before coming to Elbow Lake, Minnesota, where we served for 16 years. And then I retired at the age of 62 because my father died at the age of 61. And I told myself 27 years ago, as soon as I could start collecting Social Security, I was going to. <laughs> so I'm 62, I'm collecting. Dad never did. So ministry, I had 30 years of, quote, pastoral ministry, and today I'd like to share, speak with you about the fact that all of us who have received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and seek to live a life of His Lordship, we're all in the ministry together. And so uh, before I look into the Word, let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege to speak and to share your word. Open our eyes, Father, right now to behold wondrous things out of your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've got your bulletin there, you've got your, uh, uh, this little outline there to help you uh, keep uh, your attention centered. And uh, I'd like to read the, our primary text is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I believe it's right there in your, in your bulletin printed. But I'm reading from the New International Version. And the very first word in verse 1 of chapter 4 says, Therefore, so you have to go back into the previous chapter to see what in the world is he talking about. And he's talking about the fact that uh, we had first the law with Moses, but now Christ came and now we have grace. And uh, God used both the law and, and grace uh, in terms of reaching people. And uh, see what he says here. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the glory, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I'll stop there. And uh, I, I mentioned the clothing that we wear to church on Sunday mornings, not, not to point the finger to anybody, but, you know, some think this, this old school of thought is 
you should wear your best to church on Sunday morning. Because if you were going to go see the President of the United States, what would you wear to the White House? They say that they should wear the same to church. But that's one side of the argument. The other is, though, just come. If you want to come casually, with your heart right, that's far better. So it doesn't matter, in my opinion, what we wear to church, as long as we come seeking to learn from Him. But what do we wear in terms of clothing, in terms of when we want to minister to people? I want to make the connection. If you have your Bibles there, turn to the book of Colossians. See, where's that from? There's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, right after Philippians, isn't it? Colossians chapter 3. Didn't you just finish the book of Philippians, uh, Eric? Yes. So everybody should be able to find they Colossians yes. following Philippians. There you go. Look what it says there in Colossians chapter uh, 3 and verse 12. This is the kind of clothing we should wear when we seek to minister in the name of Jesus. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's how we should be, not just our attire, but our attitude is expressed right there. A, a couple of different translations puts it this way. As God's hand-picked representatives put on the nature that is merciful in action, kindly in heart, humble in mind, and most patient and tolerant. I like that translation. Another one says, put on tender mercies, or in other words, be tender-hearted, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I like that. So I'd like to share with you briefly today just three principles which I believe can make our ministry together here at Cornerstone most meaningful and give a sense of satisfaction and success in God's eyes. Principle number one, with every ministry, special mercy is needed. I like that word mercy. It's the word of the day. I never use it, though, on the tennis courts. <laughs> I'm merciless when it comes to playing tennis in the opponent. And I'm a very competitive guy. No mercy. It's all love. Love 15, love 30, <laughs> love 40. Game. Game over. But, but this is the key word for the day. And I was so... I got kind of a twisted mind. And when I came to Sunday school at 9 o'clock this morning which I'd include, or invite and encourage all of you adults that weren't here at 9 o'clock to come next Sunday at 9, mercy came up in that discussion on prayer. And I couldn't help but notice the songs we sang today. One of the songs had mercy in the song itself. Mercy is the key word for the day. God's mercy, you will notice in verse 1, will enable us to continue doing His work. God's work without losing heart. See how he puts it there in verse 1? Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. I told you I became a Christian at the age of 16. Anybody here 16 years old? Raise your hand if you're 16 and proud of it. Are you 16? Oh, you were kind of up and down. No. 
No 16-year-olds here. Well, when I was... I, can it, if you're a Christian, can you point back to a point in time, definite point in time, where you made your mind up? You're, you decided to receive Christ as your Savior. I hope all of you can do that. Because that decision you make for Jesus will determine your eternal destiny. Heaven or hell. And I hope all of you can point back in your lives to that day. And there's a verse that I've memorized, Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. That's very important. As we receive this mercy, we do not lose heart. Paul likes that word, lose heart. He refers to it in Galatians 6. We do not lose heart in doing good. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. In other words, don't give up. He uses it again in Ephesians. He says, I ask you not to lose heart. I ask you not to become discouraged. In 2 Thessalonians, the same term appears. Do not grow weary in doing good. Never tire of doing what is right. Don't get tired of serving the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's the secret to serving the Lord? What is the key to effective and enjoyable ministry? It's tapping into God's mercy. And realistically and practically speaking, how do we continue ministering to all kinds of people with all kinds of needs? How do we hang in there when the going gets tough and it's rough and, and we don't see many results? How do we keep at it through the long, hot days of summer or the cold, snowy, wintry days and nights which are soon to fall upon us? The answer, we will all need special mercy not to lose heart. It takes special mercy to stay here in the church at the task and keep doing the ministry of God has called each one of you to do for him. You know, uh, he, he says back there in verse 1, God's mercy will enable us to continue doing his work. I like that word continue. In John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, the Lord Jesus looked at his disciples and said, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Todd just quoted that with me back there. He, I can see his lips going. <laughs> if, you, if you, John chapter 15, if you continue in my word, if you remain, if you abide in me and I in you, and his word is, is that vitally important to us, that's the key to successful ministry. So principle number one, with every ministry, special mercy is needed and it keeps us from losing heart. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23 says something similar. It says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It is because of the, great, the Lord's great love for us. That is what should motivate us to get involved in the ministry. We need to continually be reminding ourselves that we deserve nothing. 
and yet God has been merciful toward us, and so shouldn't we be merciful toward others? I thought of, a, of a, an old hymn this week, and I think of the cross behind me on the wall at Calvary. Mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardon or forgiveness was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. It's at the cross where we go and, and our hearts are crushed and we admit our sinfulness before an almighty holy God and it's there that we, we beg for mercy and he extends that mercy to us abundantly. I love it. Second principle. In every ministry the same things have, have got to be rejected or renounced. Look at verse 2. We have renounced three things. Secret and shameful ways. Secondly, we do not use deception. And thirdly, we do not distort the word of God. We reject these things in ministry. We must. We must renounce them. We must, the original word is forbid. So we could render it this way. We have forbidden these three particular things. And what are they again? Secret and shameful things. Things hidden because of shame. In Ephesians Paul the Apostle says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Believers have no business talking about such things. And this applies to the pastor as well as to all the people. Now, I don't need to be specific. You know as well as I do what things are shameful. And if you have an area of weakness in your life that you can't talk about, it's out of control. It needs to be addressed. Deal with it. Be done with it. Don't try to hide it from God or from others because eventually <laughs> it will emerge. And when it does, your reputation will be ruined. Your ministry will be hurt. And the testimony of our Savior will be suffering. Second thing that must be rejected in ministry is doing deceptive things. Using deception is forbidden in the ministry. We, we do not use deception. What you see is what you get. Not walking in craftiness, trickery, or cunning are other words which mean the same thing. Paul used the same word in 2 Corinthians when, remember, Satan deceived Eve in his cunning way. He attracted Eve to eat of the fruit that was forbidden by God. Bottom line, it describes, I believe, a, a lack of sincerity. I'm afraid, Paul says, that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We've got to be sincere as we seek to share the love of Christ with the lost. We've got to do all that we do in the name of Jesus out of a pure heart, motivated by a sincere devotion to Christ. Third thing we must, we must reject and forbid, if you want to have an effective ministry, is distorting the Word of God, or adulterating the Word of God. We could call this corrupting sacred things. It means using false arguments, and misrepresentations, taking liberties with the text. 
We must reject playing around with the sacred text. We must respect it and declare it for what it is, the truth. Paul was warning the people of his day, and we must heed the same warning today. We do not distort the word of God. Look at verse 2. I love the way the Apostle Paul says it. He says, on the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I love Acts 24, 16. The Apostle Paul one day stood up and said, Herein do I exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense toward God and my fellow man. Paul the Apostle exercised himself daily to have a conscience that was void of offense toward God and his fellow man. He didn't want to offend God. He didn't want to offend anybody else. But he would speak the truth in love. There's an old French proverb that says, there's no pillow so soft as a clear conscience. Uh -huh. Can you go to bed tonight with a clear conscience, having nothing between you and your Savior, nothing between you and your fellow man, in the family of faith? That's the way it ought to be. I love it. Principle number three, through every ministry, a convincing example must be modeled. Verse 5, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. Mark 10:45 says, even the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And we are to live it out every day. Jesus Christ is Lord, and we who minister are models of that life. I like the way John Stott puts it. The sincerity of a preacher has two aspects. He means what he says when he's in the pulpit, and he practices what he preaches when he's out of the pulpit. That's, that's the way it ought, ought to be for all of us. Sincerity. That's what the world is searching for in the life of us Christians. Not just the pastor, but all the people as well. Speaking one way and behaving another is just another, another act of deception. And that must be rejected if our ministry is going to be effective and long-lasting. Sincerity and integrity is what we're talking about. I picked up the newspaper from Fergus uh, Journal a few days ago. It has a picture of your pastor on it, by the way. But it also has this at the bottom about integrity. Honesty, sincerity, completeness, and wholeness are words used to define the word integrity. Without those ingredients, no business transaction, and I apply this to us today, no believer can bring satisfaction to either or anybody. This particular business says it is our policy that the true meaning and intent of integrity be maintained at all times. Integrity for the believer. That's what we need more of today. More people that are willing to practice what they preach. Uh, people are very discerning out there in the community. They can spot a phony quite quickly. Just going through the motions of ministry, just putting in your time without having your heart in it, it will eventually show for all to see just how hollow 
and shallow we are. It's being called a hypocrite. And nobody wants to be a hypocrite. Until the Lord grabs our hearts and has a firm hold on our will, you will follow him and, and you allow him to change you from within. As you surrender, will your service really make a difference in people's lives? We've got to focus fully on Christ as being our Lord and as being our Savior. Not just Savior, but Lord, and we, His servants. Well, what can I say by way of application? Three things. Number one, we all need to daily draw on God's mercy so as not to lose heart. Ask for His mercy when you feel weak, when your joy is is running out, when, when your delight in the Lord is dull, when your interest in the Bible is shallow, ask for God's mercy. Draw on it as you do daily. You will find your heart renewed and refreshed. The Apostle Paul knew that secret. Second Corinthians 4.16, he says, he says uh, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, we're all getting older, we're all getting weaker physically, Yet inwardly, the Apostle Paul says, we are being renewed day by day. You all know that little prayer? Day by day, Lord, three things I pray. That I might see thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, and walk with thee more nearly. Is that your desire today? Is that your prayer? We talked about prayer earlier this morning. Is that your prayer? You know, there's a... Uh, went to a funeral this past week in, in Elbow Lake, 93-year-old lady... Anybody here 93 or older? I doubt it. 93-year-old lady. And the, what's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the one scripture text at almost every funeral? What's Psalm? 23. And the last, one of the last verses says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you have that assurance, that blessed assurance that Jesus is mine and when my time on this earth is up, he'll take me home to heaven. Surely goodness and mercy. We need God's mercy every day. So draw on that mercy. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Secondly, decide today to be an authentic believer. Reject the devil's dark deeds which are shameful and done in secret. And if you're here this morning and you have some of that secrecy, you know what, what it is. Be done with that deception and the diluting or distorting of the sacred text, the holy word of God. Don't be a hypocrite. Nobody wants to be called that. Saying one thing and then going out and doing another. Quit fighting that losing battle of the flesh. Gain victory in Jesus and be real. My next oldest brother, Mitch, died at the young age of 57, and uh, his favorite hymn of the faith was Victory in Jesus. My Savior forever. And uh, my brother, uh, Mitch, uh, was always an inspiration to me. He was blind at an early age and, and uh, had lost fingers and toes due to poor circulation, but whenever in the ministry I was discouraged, and losing heart, I'd call Mitch. And Mitch would always encourage me and lift me up. He was my inspiration. Uh, he was authentic. He was truly 
a, uh, the real deal. So this morning, where would you find yourself? Are you over here on the right saying, you're fighting in the futility of the fallen flesh, defeat after defeat after defeat, discouraged, or are you over here resting in the resources of the risen Redeemer, living a life of victory day by day? It's one or the other. Let's make sure it's victory side. Thirdly, secret to happy life is seek to devote yourself to serving others. Others. So you won't become selfish and self-centered. Do something today, this afternoon, for somebody else. Think of yourself less and others more. That's what real ministry is all about. That's what living for Jesus is all about. And that's what Philippians was all about, as you just studied. Philippians chapter uh, 2. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each consider others better than themselves. Look not every man to his own things, but also to the things of others. Others. Isn't that what Jesus said? To, how do you spell joy? Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. That's the joy-filled life. I really believe it is. Well, uh, what I wanted to uh, end with today was uh, a, just a thought that i gotten out of a, a magazine some many years ago. And, and instead of seeing ourselves as volunteers in the church, I particularly prefer seeing ourselves as ministry partners. And that's what Philippians 1.5 says. Philippians 1.5 says what? Oh. Partnership. Paul the Apostle says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. And there's a verse uh, out west that uh, struggled with this. Let me just read this for you. It says... Uh, they, they uh, uh, don't have a large church, a large staff. Uh, they've managed to accomplish a lot with, with just volunteers. And uh, what, what the, basically they came to this conclusion and said, since people who aren't paid, but do you pay your nursery helpers? Of course not. Mm -hmm. no. People who are not paid uh, full-time staff, um, uh, can't possibly be as reliable as full-time staff. Like, that's like my wife used to say on Sunday morning, I'd, I'd be laying in bed and my wife would get up and say, get up. I'd say, why? you got to go to church. I don't want to go to church. You're the pastor. They're paying you to go to church. So I, was, I got up and I went. And, but see, a lot of nursery workers here, you don't pay them. You don't did you get paid to play the piano here? <laughs> Not really. How about these guys at sing? No, you don't pay them. They're just they're volunteers. And yet, so there's a tendency among church staff to feel that they have to work around volunteers as much as with them. So to, to combat that attitude, this particular church came up with a new term to make them ministry partners. You can get warm bodies to fill spaces anywhere you go, but to actually get somebody who's dedicated to what you're doing, someone who believes in that particular ministry that they're involved in as passionately as you who are paid staff do, that's more than a volunteer. 
And so what they came up with is this. They said this. When you visit a church, you can see those that are, that are really doing the ministry because they have a heart for it and because they want to. Uh, we can't do ministry without these people. The ministry belongs to the body of believers and not to the paid staff. Uh, like Pastor Eric, we are really here to help people with resources and casting vision and helping set priorities, but the ministry itself is in the hands of the people. So how do you get volunteers? How do you keep them? How do you keep them from burning themselves out? Perhaps it starts with seeing them this way, as partners in ministry. Ministry partners, not volunteers necessarily, but ministry partners. I like that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Eric always closes with a verse from Colossians chapter 2. Well, I'd like to close with a verse from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So just keep that in mind. Whatever you do for Jesus and for the kingdom will be, have a lasting value. Whatever you seek to do for yourself in a selfish, self-seeking sort of way, it'll it, it'll be it'll be gone. So uh, that's the challenge for us all today to uh, become ministry partners together in the gospel, the good news of God's love and forgiveness and new life offered through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you.